if you're a woman and you buy clothes online, this is a pretty common like issue. It's like yeah. the joke that like you're six different sizes at the same time <laughs> uh, <laughs> because every company has like their own way of like sizing yeah. things, and it's very much catered towards their intended like consumer. Welcome to the VectorShift podcast. VectorShift is an AI automations platform. On this podcast, we have conversations with founders and experts in fields such as AI and B2B SaaS. Casey, welcome to the Vectorship Podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Casey is the founder and CEO of Simu. Simu reduces returns for online fashion retailers by connecting shoppers with local tailors. Today, we'll talk about Casey's background. What is Simu? The interesting business model that Simu offers, the problem that Simu solves, and some of the thoughts that Casey has on being a founder. I guess maybe you could check things off, Casey, and talk maybe a little bit about your background and you know how you got here today. Yeah, sure. So hi, I'm Casey. Um, I am a fourth year student at Yale College. Um, I'm studying computing in the arts, and I'm originally from Atlanta. Basically, uh, so when I was a kid, I would basically get these suitcases of hand-me-down clothing from my cousin in China, and they were all like two sizes too big and really Victorian style, which wasn't going to work for someone living in the suburbs of Georgia. So mm-hmm. I basically taught myself how to sew as a kid by watching YouTube videos. Okay. Um, and then I, I've i just been like altering my clothes since I was a kid because of that. Um, and then when I got to college, I kept on seeing all of this just like fashion waste everywhere because the students would just kind of purge their closet right before they're about to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent a lot of time basically in college trying to stop clothes from going to landfills, uh, literally and metaphorically. So at one point I was uh, hoarding clothes in my apartment. Um, I eventually realized that like a lot of the reasons why people are throwing away their clothes is because like it doesn't fit them the way that they imagine. And so I briefly spent a good chunk of time like altering other students' clothes. Mm. And that sent me down to this whole rabbit hole of trying to figure out like, why is tailoring not as common in the US versus like in other countries? And that's basically led me to Simu. Um, yeah. Well, a lot to unpack there. And, you know, obviously we'd love to hear about what Simu is in your own words. But, you know, before we get to that, I guess I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on why you think a lot of clothing doesn't fit you know is this like the the makers of the clothing are not good is it you know what why why is this such a pervasive problem okay so before you unlock like basically me ranting for many many hours on end i'm just going to give a brief summary uh u.s clothing like sizing is was based on a model that was created like around world war ii to help uh aviation women in aviation uh mm-hmm. like establish a uniform basically mm-hmm. uh and since then like we haven't really moved past that model a lot of fashion in terms of sizing is a lot of guesswork and it requires um a lot of like using real people uh to model clothes and whatnot unfortunately if you don't fit within the model that they're using which is pretty common if you're not super like tall like 
European built kind of woman, mm -hmm. uh, you're probably not going to find clothes that actually do fit you the way that you want. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's really, there's like, if you're a woman and you buy clothes online, this is a pretty common like issue. It's like yeah. the joke that like you're six different sizes at the same time <laughs> uh, <laughs> because every company has like their own way of like sizing yeah. things. And it's very much catered towards their intended like consumer. I see. Um, but it's just like really frustrating if you're not necessarily like whatever they consider like the fit model, right? Mm -hmm. Um yeah. This is a persistent like it's been a persistent issue, but it's like with online clothes shopping, it's extra hard because it's yeah. like even with like fit finder or like sizing guides, it's like it's hard. It's really hard to tell. Um, it's one of the main reasons why people actually return clothes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what, when you notice this, maybe among your peers, what do you say? You know, you, you mentioned this is a big cause of return, but you mentioned as well, a lot of people would just not wear things. They would just throw it away. Is that, was that correct? You know, what, what is the user journey today? Yeah, we did a lot of research, uh, interviewing like, students like college students young professionals and it's like a very common theme that like if something doesn't fit the way that someone intends so like if it's not necessarily the style that they were anticipating or like the sizing that they were anticipating or like for instance just like one or two portions are just like not quite right mm. that's probably most likely gonna go first um which is like really sad to know because if you're someone like me who had to deal with you know like hand me that yeah. clothing up and you figure it out like oh yeah if i just get rid of this portion or if i like sew some stitches here like i can get it to look the way that i want yeah. it's just it's just like disheartening i guess from like an environmental yeah. perspective so could you talk maybe about what a seaway is maybe in your own words yeah so like you mentioned um we help uh, online fashion retailers reduce returns by putting choppers in touch with local tailors. So basically, um, when you receive a clothing item that mm -hmm. you bought online and it doesn't quite fit you, instead of you saying, hey, I'm just going to return this and the fashion retailer having to deal with your return, we uh, put you in touch with your local tailor. So mm -hmm. let's say I bought a dress from Abercrombie that's like five inches too long and I'm planning on returning mm -hmm. it. Instead of me returning it, I'm Steam will put you in touch with someone like Mary, who is like mm -hmm. five minutes away, and she yeah. can have it for you. And the idea behind this is that like if we can get clothes to be used, uh, and we have it like, I guess, uh built in a way that people mm -hmm. anticipate, uh, people will be more likely to use their clothes, which means that uh -huh. it will less likely be ending up in a landfill. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's uh we're working with retailers because like returns are a huge problem for all fashion retailers. Uh, yes. But dive, dive into it a little bit, you know, why, why is returning such a big problem? It's a big problem because, well, so most online fashion retailers started offering free returns, uh, partially because of Zappos. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah. Well, yeah, because like, I don't, I, the shopper, don't have the guarantee that this is going to fit me and I want, mm. you know, a shirt. And so when you offer me free returns, I feel more comfortable buying this item because I can then return mm -hmm. it. 
The problem, though, is that a lot of people are abusing the returns. Um, so mm-hmm. you see things like bracketing, which means that someone will buy like the same item in every single size mm-hmm. uh, because they don't know which one's going to fit. Right. And this is a pretty big problem for retailers. Like hypothetically, yes, they could resell it. But, you know, your average retailer, uh, I believe the statistic is that they spend 51% of the original, sorry, they spend at least uh, 51% of the original, uh, like the item costs when they have to deal with returns. It's a it's a pretty hefty fee to be paying. Um, and so unfortunately for a lot of retailers, the unscrupulous part of it is that they will just find other ways to deal with the returns, which is yeah. often just to like landfill it. Yeah. Uh, we don't like to talk about it, and it's usually not, you know, publicly stated yeah. because that's that's pretty bad. Um yeah. but it it's it's just because like the returns, it's so expensive. Um mm-hmm. And there's no guarantee of that resale. Um, So, I mean, like, there's, like, there's a survey that was done by McKinsey saying that, like, uh, returns was one of the highest priorities for most fashion retailers in 2024. Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes sense. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of free returns being uh, gotten rid of by these fashion retailers. And they're doing shortening return policy, right? So... Seven days, seventeen or fourteen days, or like you're gonna have to pay for return shipping, which is like yeah. really annoying when you're wanting like some assurance that this clothing item will fit. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there have been a lot of like there have been a lot of solutions, I guess, uh, towards reducing returns for uh, online retailers. But I think for me, the reason why I work so passionately on Cebu is because like none of these really address the main reason why I'm wanting to return my clothes, which is that it mm. doesn't fit me the way that I want. Mm. Um, yeah. Maybe, can you talk a little bit about, you know, why tailors are not more used? You know, like, you know, hey, you're, you're going to this almost marketplace where, you know, you're working with these retailers, but then you need to have a lot of tailors all over to, you know, so that, you know, whoever may come, there's, there's some tailor that's close by. Uh, you know, why, why do people not know about these tailors already? You know, why is this a problem today? Well, okay. So I guess the preface is, uh, we did like research a while back trying to like figure out like, yeah, why is tailoring not so commonly used in the U.S.? And mm-hmm. basically what I came to realize is that most people have a kind of surrogate tailor in their life, right? So mm-hmm. it's like your mother, your grandmother, like someone, a family friend who knows how to sew. Usually you go to that person when you have an issue with their clothing, right? And usually they can like fix it up or like do whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the moment where that person is like suddenly removed from your life as in like their skills are like yeah. not enough or like they're just quite literally like not physically there. Uh, it's when you start seeing people like basically like discarding their clothes um Mm -hmm. as for like why is tailoring not so common in the u.s i it's just i think it's just because like in the u.s like clothing is not treated so much as a commodity as it is in a lot of other countries Mm -hmm. so if you go to asia um tailoring is like second nature like you know everyone has their like wet market lady or like you know like some seamstress down the street it's just it's a very common practice in fact like a lot of retailers 
in Asia, they actually offer like tailoring services. Um, in the U.S., we just don't have that culture. And it doesn't help that in the U.S., most tailors are like mom and pop shops that like yeah. only accept cash and like they only do scheduling by phone call and they don't have a website. It's mm-hmm. like most people in the U.S. don't think about tailoring until it comes to like a formal occasion. And like. for this reason, like a lot of these like tailoring shops often like end up overcharging to make up for their lack of volume Hmm. the tailoring industry in the u.s is one of like the most de-standardized like decentralized like industries in the nation which is a bit of a shame because like this might be the solution to the returns problem yeah it's just no yeah uh that's super fascinating i mean could you walk me through what um, the user journey that you know customers have, and maybe also aspiration of what you're building towards. Um, so, would it be you know, if someone is choosing to retire, they you know they have the option to find the local tailor. Like walk walk me through what the uh, user journey um, uh, is. Yeah, sure. So basically, what we're trying to work on is to have the retailers inform the shoppers of our alterations from the get go. And we're trying to get the alterations to be like as cheap as possible. So ideally free for the shopper. Um, and so like, so that the shopper knows like there is that assurance, like, Hey, you know, if it doesn't quite fit, you know, we have this option. Um, and so after they receive the clothing and they're like considering what to do with it, the return it or not, we just like drop, like we hop in, we have an API basically that will be integrated into a retailer's returns portal such that, mm. um, when someone is about to return, we basically step in and say, hey, we actually have a tailor for you. Here is a very simple way. Like we have like basically a diagram yeah. of the item that they bought where they can like select what needs to be worked on. Mm. Um, so that like if they've never tailored before, like, you know, it's pretty clear what needs to be done. Mm. We and from there, the shopper basically just like we put them in touch with a tailor and then like we establish we help them make an appointment, basically. On our, we are uh, amassing this network of tailors and basically in charge of communicating with them um, and mm-hmm. scheduling with them. And ultimately, we handle all the like payment from the retailer and whatnot mm-hmm. on their behalf. Uh, it, it seems like a lot to set up, right? That's the tailor network and retail network. How, what does this on the day-to-day look like? Like, how are you uh, partnerships? <laughs> So Ron, day to day, I'm working with my co-founder who is currently building out a kind of internal app the same way that, you know, how Uber drivers have an, like an Uber app. Yeah. Um, we're basically like setting up a similar thing right now uh, for our tailors. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the actual onboarding tailors aspect, that currently looks like quite literally me going out to every ethnic wear shop, yeah. community center. Uh in currently new york and finding tailors um we've tried to explain to some tailors like through the phone and it's just they don't quite understand what we're doing so we're having to like go up to them and show them like hey we're actually doing this and it's great for you because you're gonna get basically a consistent stream of customers um yeah i mean like 
I one of the things that hasn't been mentioned so far is that there's also major language barrier associated with a lot of tailors. Um, mm-hmm. It's because there tend to be immigrants, um, and they, you know, they're setting up like these shops, and usually what they're sewing is ethnic wear, actually. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it's another reason why it's so hard to find a tailor in the U.S. Mm. Uh, it doesn't help that, you know, like I mentioned, there's no standardization in this industry. Anyone can be a tailor. You can own a sewing machine and call yourself a tailor. Yeah. So uh, how does this initial conversation look? Are you going to the store? Are you asking for the manager? And then you're, how, and then you're explaining, the, you know, the benefits. How, how, does this, how does that interaction look? So originally, so what we first set up doing was we would actually, we we ran a kind of experiment with a boutique uh, earlier last year where we basically uh, told the boutique like, hey, like if you hand out these like flyers on our behalf, we'll like, give your customers free alterations. We just wanted to make sure like, yeah, if given the option to tailor or they'll return their clothes with like relatively same amounts of effort and like price, would someone tailor their clothes? Answer was overwhelmingly yes <laughs> but <laughs> in this process what we basically were trying to do what we were doing was like we would call the tailors uh, at first when i was trying to explain what we were doing they didn't quite understand so it just became like hey i'm um i need to set up a tailoring appointment on behalf yeah. of my friend uh <laughs> i will pay you <laughs> on behalf of my friend but she's coming yeah. in at this time with this garment and then from there, after we have that like first like, oh, this person came, showed up, and then I paid the tailor, we then like explain to them like, also, actually, we're building this thing. Um, we're gonna, gonna get you more customers over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just bear with us Love as that. we try to build this up. Love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh you know, and I'm like with the tailors that like some of them like really just didn't understand what we were doing and you know that's that's fine um, yeah. some of them were like really happy to hear about this because like they were working like multiple tailoring jobs or they were like part of a uh another establishment so like yeah. as nick wear shop right um and they were like basically being dependent on the shop because mm-hmm. they well, because the shop generated enough demand for them, so right. yeah. Maybe if you talk a little bit about what's what's in store, you know, for twenty twenty four for Cibo, what's the plan? So what's in store for twenty twenty four is uh, we're we're still building our like network situation, um, and we are in the process of finishing this internal app. We're also talking to a couple like larger retailers. So hopefully we will be able to actually work with one of them. Yeah. But I guess what's in store primarily for 2024 is that uh we have more consistent people using it. Absolutely. Our previous like test run was a pretty duct taped uh yeah. MP to say the least. Um and we're trying to make it like less duct tape. I guess like well, if you want that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you wanted to put it in product terms, we were at like the skateboard level and we are trying to uh get towards the bike so that we yeah. can ultimately build maybe a car. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's really great the you know the MVP what you guys launched, you know, to validate do the validation and you know, whatever you could do to 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 get the you know initial uh, you know, uh, cycles um, as fast as possible. Um, 
I'm curious, you know, on your perspective on this marketplace, what's like you chose to build, like what's of the marketplace did you choose to build out first? You know, the tailors or the retailers? Like how did you, how did you think about prioritization there? Uh, well, so if I'm going to be completely honest, I did not set up to build a marketplace. Um, yeah. When I started CMU, I had many other ideas. Uh, we ended up scrapping two of them prior to this one. Mm. I think I was just very obsessed with the idea of clothing consumption and also of tailoring because mm. those were the two things I was most familiar with. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, having having sewn clothes myself. Um, I When we first set this up, it was definitely... Well, we were just focused on a customer, right? I was just focused on why can I, why can't I buy pants online uh, without, you know, being stressed that they won't fit? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so so what we've basically been building, I would say, first we're building the the tailor side um, mm-hmm. because we're actually quite uncertain about whether the retail game will you know, last in the long run. I personally am putting my bets on it, but I could be very much wrong. But what I do know for a fact is that it is so hard to find a tailor in the U.S. I see. So this network is so useful. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. And this isn't just like a U.S. specific issue, but it is a very exacerbated issue in the U.S. I mean, if you go to like other places like Hong Kong, for instance, even with their high, like high density of tailors, no, tailors are still doing the same thing. Like I still am relying purely on cell phone to get in touch with like a tailor in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and it's like the trust with like the tailors and like, you know, like them being able to handle your clothes is super important for a lot of people to the extent that like some Hong Kong tailors receive just uh they receive clothing like shipments from customers in like Britain because like when mm. that customer lived in Hong Kong, you know, mm. they went to the tailor. Uh it's this is very much like a kind of issue like we're we're even though we're dealing like on the outside with a lot of issues surrounding returns and the environment probably like the issues that we're dealing with more on internally in terms of the customer is like an issue of trust and also yeah. an issue of kind of like self uh i guess like self expression mm-hmm. um, because for a lot of people clothing is tied to self identity right yeah. So, like, your clothes don't fit you the way that you're imagining when you see it online. You know, that can be pretty emotionally jarring to some people. Yeah, absolutely. I have one last question. Thank you for your time. This is a question I, I ask everyone that comes on this podcast. I'm curious about, you know, your view on the debate in Silicon Valley about how important your idea is versus how important your execution of the idea is. I'm curious about what you think is more important, you know, from your experience running CBA? You know, I think I came in here with a very strong answer leaning towards the execution side. Yeah. Uh, I think I have since, like, weakened that position slightly. Okay. But I think probably because, like, when I started Osimu, I had other ideas in mind. And they were not just, like, not scalable or, like, not profitable. And... I remember when I had been a part of uh, like a cohort um, 
there were other founders who were also working in fashion who had similar ideas to mine. Mm. And, you know, they also didn't pursue that exact same idea because, again, it was not just not profitable or it was not. Yeah. Um, I think, like, you know, while I would like to say that, like, this idea that matters the most, I think ultimately, realistically, is more about execution. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Enjoy chatting and appreciate your thoughts today.